What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, so this morning, we're going to be real honest on the front end of our conversation this morning, and you don't have to raise your hands, and you don't have to answer out loud, but how many of you Has your memory ever caused conflict in your relationships? Has your memory ever caused conflict in your relationships? It has for me, uh, primarily in my marriage, for two reasons. Number one is I don't have a great sense of details. Like, I don't remember details well. I don't even see details well in real time. And so my wife has very little confidence that when I go to the grocery store, I'm coming back with every item on the list. So that's one reason why there's conflict in some of my relationships, but here's the other reason why, is that I have what you call, it's a condition, it's called, I have what you might call revisionist memory. I have a revisionist memory, and what happens is that I don't remember events in the past the way that they actually happened, and I've noticed that there's a pattern to this memory, is that I tend to remember things in my favor. I don't know if you have that problem, (laughs) if you have that condition, But this is what happens. I'll do the dishes once, but the way that I remember it is that I do the dishes all the time, sweetie. I'll go to the gym once, and in my head, I'm thinking, I go to the gym every single week, and I've been doing it for years, but I go maybe once or twice a month. But what's interesting is I think that there is a similar phenomenon that takes place with our faith, that there's sort of this revisionist thing that happens somehow. And I think for me, the process or the phenomenon sort of works like this. I sort of gravitate around all the good things that I do, and I slowly forget about all the bad things that I do throughout the course of a day. And so I elevate all the good decisions I make, and it sort of overshadows the bad decisions. And I think that there's a similar phenomenon that happens in our relationship with God. That in God's realm, in God's world, Our faith can overshadow our failures. That in God's economy, our faith can overshadow our failures. And I think that this sort of goes in contrast to like like sort of our natural way of thinking. Because if you're like me, sometimes you kind of focus on your failures, right? Some of the things that you think about when you identify who you, when you look in the mirror in the morning, you may look through the lens of all the failures and all the mistakes that you've made over the course of your life. You may look in the mirror and you say, what a loser. You may look in the mirror in the morning and say, what a lazy coward you are. You may look at pictures of your children and say, what a failure I have been. I feel like there are so many of us that look at ourselves from that perspective. That our identity is determined by our greatest failures in life, but that's not how it works in God's economy. And we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to continue in the series that we started a few weeks ago that we're calling Influencers. And for us, we've been looking at the lives of people who have been some of the greatest influencers in human history, and we are seeing how they leverage their faith, how God leveraged their faith to make an impact and to shape their culture. And so we've been looking through this letter called Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. That's the second half of the Bible. And it's the part of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus and the expansion of this faith community that was called the church. And so as we've been reading this letter, we kind of understand sort of the context of it. 
And it was written to a group of people who came out of a particular culture, and they were really well knowledgeable about uh, this book called the Torah. It was the Hebrew Bible. And their whole lives were sort of immersed in this type of culture. And then we see that they stepped out of that culture to begin following this person named Jesus. And as a result of that decision, this whole population of people were beginning to experience adversity in their life. And so you have this guy who's writing this letter to this group of people, encouraging them. And what he's telling them, he's saying that the decision that you made to follow Jesus was a good decision. I know that you're experiencing some doubts on your journey of faith, but I just want to let you know that the decision you made is the good one. It's the right one. And I feel like if you've been on the journey of faith for any amount of time, you probably need a bit of encouragement out every now and then. All of us probably need to know when we're running a marathon that we've hit mile 10, we're tired, but we're on the right path. We still have 16 miles to go, but at least we know that our tiredness is making, an, making influence in the direction that we want to go. And I think that's what this letter was really all about. It was trying to encourage these people on the path of faith. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, this is like the author, he's saying, listen, I know what you're going through, but not only do I know what you're going through, but there have been a list of people all throughout history who are going through the same exact thing that you're going through. And he says, look at how God used their life to influence their culture. Look at how God used them. And he's saying the same God that used all of these people in such a profound way to shape culture is the same God that that is willing to use your life today. It's the same God. And so far, we've looked at Noah. We've looked at Abraham. And today, we're going to look at the life of a lady named Sarah. And this is what we learn about Sarah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It says, It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. Sarah was the wife of Abraham, so she was part of the entire process as Abraham was making the decision to leave his homeland and follow God, not knowing where he was going. And so if you're married, you know that that's not like one person's decision, right? You make that decision together. And so Sarah was as much a part of that process as Abraham was, but in the same way that she was a part of the process of taking a step of faith, she was also part of the process of feeling let down as every year passed and they still didn't see the promise in their life fulfilled because God promised Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation. And if he was going to make him a great nation, then they were going to have to be able to have a child. And for their entire marriage, maybe 50, 60 years long, they could not give birth to a child. And so this promise appealed to both of them. But for 25 years, they waited for the promise to be fulfilled in their life. And then finally, at that 25th year, they gave birth to a son. And it's pretty interesting when I read Hebrews chapter 11 because it positions Sarah as a person of great faith. She's listed in what a lot of people call the hall of faith, right? Like these people who are known and admired because of their faith. But in my mind, I feel like this is sort of a revisionist memory. This is a revisionist history because the Sarah that I'm familiar with in the Hebrew Bible tells a a far greater different story. And God's word is actually pretty transparent about some of Sarah's failures all through her entire life. This is what we know. 
At one point on the journey after they left their homeland and they were making their way to Canaan, she and Abraham were in Egypt and they were lying about their relationship because they were trying to secure some of the provisions that they thought they needed. And so they were lying to some of the Egyptian local officials. And because of that, there was like a plague that hit those officials. And so there was a lot of consequences to that decision. Secondly, this is what we know about Sarah's past. She tried to force God's hand in relationship to the promise that God made to her. God promised that she was going to give birth to a child. She didn't think it was going to happen. And with every passing year, she became less and less secure about God fulfilling that promise. And so what she did, her response was sort of to sort of take control of that situation and manipulate the situation. And she coordinated the casual sexual experience between her husband and her housekeeper. So that maybe her husband could impregnate her housekeeper and give birth to a child and it would be sort of the fulfillment of God's promise when all along God had like this way better plan and she tried to step in and manipulate the situation. And then number three, we see there was a moment where Sarah overheard God speaking and God was communicating the vision that he had for her life and how he was going to use her life to fulfill this great vision in the world. And how does Sarah respond? She starts laughing. She LOL'd. She was laughing out loud, emoji with the crying eyes. She was just busting up at the thought of what God was saying because she didn't believe it. And when God confronted her about it, then she lied about it even more. That's the worst. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade on Sarah, but if you evaluate Sarah's life, she is a better model for failure than she is of faith. And I wonder if Sarah was here at this moment with us and she was reading Hebrews chapter chapter 11, I think that she would be shocked by what she saw. And I wonder if the moment that she gave birth to her son, it was actually a moment of guilt and shame instead of a moment of celebration. Have you ever had like this opportunity where God called you into this place? He was leading you to be faithful and, and you sort of broke under the weight of it, broke under the weight of doubt and you gave in and then God fulfilled the promise in your life anyways and you're like, dang it, why... Why didn't I just trust God in this moment? I think that may have have been what she's going through. And I wonder if, as she reflected on her life, if she viewed her life as a failure. I wonder if she looked back at all those moments where she made bad decisions that affected so many people for so many years, if she just thought, "What, what good am I anyways? And I think that that's like a natural human pattern, right? Like sometimes it is so easy for us to focus on our failures, focus on those moments of life where we came up short. We call ourselves a lot of bad names. We think a lot of negative things about ourselves. And I think that in our culture, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. We allow for the failures of our past to dictate what we can do in the future. It limits us, our thinking. And I just wonder if she thought how did I end up in the hall of faith? But this is what I realized, is that when we step into faith with God, he chooses to remember us at our best instead of remembering us at our worst. And the more that I thought about it, I realized that this passage was really a statement about who Sarah was in light of her relationship with God. He remembered how bold she was the moment that he called her out of Haran to take this huge step of faith in her life. 
And that's how God remembered her. Not all these moments in her life where maybe her faith was sort of, she had a lapse of faith or maybe she doubted in a moment. And I think this is what God saw in her faith. Number one, he saw that it was authentic. And how do you determine authenticity? I think you can determine authenticity of faith by how much you are willing to give up to pursue what God has called you to do. Cheap faith is usually really, really convenient. But costly faith is the stuff that requires you to give up something valuable to pursue what God is leading you to do. And I think that's been so true for so many people in our church. So many people that are in this community have really had to give up a lot to be a part of what God was calling them into. And that is just generally true. Maybe when you're growing up in an environment where you didn't grow up in a home that had any religious traditions, or maybe you did grow up in a home that had religious traditions and following Jesus was sort of in opposition to what you grew up knowing. And sometimes it costs you relationships. Sometimes it costs you opportunities. Sometimes it costs you sort of the, the way that people see your life and, and perceive who you are. It's, it's usually painful. But that's oftentimes how we know that there is an authentic faith. And that was so true of Sarah's life that God had called her into something huge that she had no knowledge of whether or not it was going to succeed or how it was going to work out, but she did it by faith. The second thing that I think God valued about Sarah is that her faith was consistent. It was consistent. I think as much as we question her decisions in her past, the one thing that we can admire about Sarah is that she never gave up. She never stepped out of the game. She never got out of the lane of faith in her life. She just kept going. She made a mistake. She stayed with her husband. She made another mistake. She didn't abandon her family. She made another mistake. But she never got out of the rhythm of being a part of sort of the overall plan that God had for her life. And I think sometimes the problem that we run into is that when we experience a little bit of adversity in our life, our natural instinct is to sort of redirect our energy, don't experience the adversity, and go another way. Maybe sometimes as you're stepping into faith for the first time, you have conflict. Or maybe there's something that you read in the Bible and it sort of doesn't sit with you well and you sort of jump off the plane. You jump off the path of where God is taking you. But the challenge is that if we abandon the direction that God is leading us to too soon, we'll never experience the work that he's trying to do in our life. And I love Sarah. I admire Sarah because no matter how many failures, no matter how many mistakes she made, she kept going. And God used that. Number three, her faith was selfless. She believed knowing that she would never see the promise fulfilled. Can you imagine that? God made her a promise that her and Abraham were going to be sort of the the beginning of this great nation. But you realize that Sarah was about 75 years old when that promise was made to her. And it usually takes a few generations of offspring to begin maybe even looking like what you might call a great nation. Take many, many years. So there was no no false idea that that Sarah was going to see this promise completely fulfilled, but she did it anyways. She did it because she knew that God was going to use her life even though she was never going to see the promise fulfilled 
completed. And I think that that's always true for us. That we actually have no idea what hangs in the balance of our willingness to say yes to what God is doing in our life. We have no idea whose lives will be transformed or impacted if we choose to say yes to have faith and to the direction that God is leading us. I think of Brian and Angela Woe. You may know Brian and Angela. Anytime they're here, they're serving. Brian helps serve with the band and the tech team, and Angela's helping out with host and prayer team. But when I think about them, I think, how different would our church look if they never said yes to being a part of what God was doing? I met them about three and a half years ago. We were both serving at the same church, and when they found out that we were going to start a church, Kayla and I, they said, you know, can we meet with you? We'd love to ask you some questions. And so we met, and we talked, and eventually they said, we feel like God is prompting us and leading us to help you guys start this church. And they have been so faithful since the very beginning to always be here and serving and involved and leading and shaping the culture of this community. And then I remember a few years ago when we landed in our third location, Brian was serving as a parking guard one day. And uh, he was just waving people, into the, waving people to people in the community as they were driving by the street. And a lady pulls up. And she rolls her window down, and she's like, hey, what are you doing here? And Brian's like, we started a church. You should come. And she sort of responded. She said, well, I'm in my pajamas, but I'll be back next week. And next week, that lady showed up to church, and her name was Tony Sue. And the moment that Tony Sue came to Eden Church, she started serving on our host team. And now she helps with our prayer team. And now she's serving in our kids' ministry. And the interesting thing is that one day, Tony Sue was walking home, and she ran into a few of her neighborhood friends, and they asked, what are you doing, Tony Sue? She said, well, I'm coming out of church. She said, a church? I said, yes, I'm coming out of a new church. You should come and check it out. And so those ladies who Tony Sue ran into came to Easter service almost a year ago. They showed up to Eden Church, and they had never stopped coming. And about two weeks ago, those two ladies went public with their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think, how different would that service have been two years ago if Brian and Angela had never said yes to helping Eden start this church? But there are so many stories just like that here at Eden. And we never know like what one decision of faith that we make, how, what the trajectory of that faith will be, not just for our lives, but so many other people's lives. That God wants to use you to change people's eternity. And that's why every time we have something going on, we encourage you to invite your friends because I know that there is someone in your life that is in desperate need to know that there is a God who loves them and cares for them and died on the cross so that they wouldn't have to live lives of isolation or alone or filled with shame and guilt every time they look in the mirror. That is not how God intended it to work out. I think at the end of our life, our story will be remembered by one decision of faith. Did we choose to follow God? And that type of faith is the type of faith that always overshadows our failures in this life. Because what God does when we step into that type of faith is we receive this gift that we could never earn that we could never work for, but it is a gift that only God could have accomplished 
by giving his one and only son so that we didn't have to live lives of separation, lives in desperation, lives separated from this God who loves us so deeply. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to consider stepping into faith, to consider experiencing all that God has for your life. Because I think that at the end of the day, God does not see us the way that we see ourselves. I went on a retreat a few months ago, and at this retreat, it was really encouraging me to kind of do some self-reflection and some processing, and so they took us out into the mountains, and we were kind of around this forested area, and the first exercise of this retreat was to write a letter to yourself from God. It's kind of a weird experience. I've never done anything like that before, but they said, we want you to write a letter to yourself from God, expressing to you yourself the things that you think you need to hear from God. And so it was kind of a weird process for me because, honestly, it was emotional because I'd never really thought of it from that perspective. And I, and I realized that whatever I wrote was going to reveal a lot to me about my heart. And so I remember sort of taking a few minutes, probably 30 minutes to like even process this question. And I started writing, and these are the words that I wrote. I said, dear God, or sorry, dear Daniel, I want you to know that I love you. You're working really hard, but I also want you to know that you don't have to do anything to earn my love, God. But I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror sometimes, and I look at myself, and I just, like, you are a loser. You are not a good father. You're not a good husband. You're not a good leader. I mean, there are all these words in my head that I use to sort of destroy my heart. But what I love about this moment is that it shows us how God really sees us. That despite all of Sarah's failure in her life, God saw her as this woman of great faith. And I hope that you know that this morning. That whatever you've been through, whatever experiences that you've had, whatever addictions that might define parts of your life or have described parts of your life, that once you step into faith, you are covered by the hope and the love of Jesus. That when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ in you because we are covered by that blood. And all the dishonor that we've been to God and the dishonor that we've done to other people, God no longer sees that. He sees a forgiven child of God. And so right now, we're going to take a moment. And if you have never asked Jesus to fill your heart and to come into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if today you want to receive the gift of salvation in Jesus, you can repeat the prayer after me. So I'm going to have everyone close their eyes and bow their heads. And if you've never taken the opportunity to step into faith, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And all you're saying is that you want to surrender your worries and your fears in exchange for faith. And that you're trusting that there is a God who loved you so much that he would send his only son to die on a cross as a substitute for us so that we didn't have to pay the price for our dishonor, for our sin. 
The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's where you're at today, go ahead and repeat after me in your heart. God, I know that I need you to fill the void. I'm so thankful for your son who died for my sins. And I trust you. I trust that you loved me enough to bring me here today. And I want what you have for me. I want you to use my life for your good from this day forward. Please form in me a new heart. Please direct my path. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, I believe. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I want to ask for you to do something really bold. If today you prayed that prayer in your heart, would you quickly just raise your hand and let us know so that we can celebrate it? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer, God bless you. I see you in your heart. Go ahead and let, let us know. Let me pray a blessing over you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the value that you add to our lives. God, we thank you that that, God, you are not looking at us to shame us, but, God, you want what's best for us. You want to give us hope in moments where we feel completely hopeless. You want to be the light in the middle of darkness. And, God, you are knocking at the door of our hearts, reminding us that we don't have to do this alone. And, God, I pray that this week, this group of people would lean on you like they've never done it before. God, if they're struggling in their relationship, if they're having career issues, God, if they are having conflict at home, if they're struggling with decisions that people they care about are making, Lord, would you fill their hearts with peace, the type of peace that surpasses all understanding. God, would you give them faith? God, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.